He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Now my haramai kitiau hurihanga. Welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clark and Cannon tēnei. My name is Dr. Jeffrey Hansfield. I'm a senior research fellow in the musculoskeletal modeling group at the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. And musculoskeletal modeling, can you get into that a little bit for me? What does that mean? Yeah, so the institute where I work in general um, has kind of a theme of using computational modeling, computational bioengineering approaches, and it's basically uh, developing complex computer models to study physiology. The group that I work in is really interested in the musculoskeletal system, um, or musculoskeletal if I have my Kiwi accent on. So the musculoskeletal system comprises skeletal muscles. So those are the muscles that most people think about, your biceps, the ones that you can flex and help you move. Um, Tendons, which link your muscles to your bones. The bones themselves, uh, ligaments and cartilage. And that's uh, basically the musculoskeletal system. Um, So in our group, we're interested in using imaging methods to capture those tissues in really high detail, in some cases subject specifically. So we'll develop models of a specific person or a specific patient. And we take those images and we use them in different ways to develop uh, often mechanical models or uh, mechanobiological models that we can then use to explore the physiology of the uh, musculoskeletal system. One of the projects Jeffrey is working on is using MRI to investigate muscle development in children with cerebral palsy. We like MRI because it gives us a very comprehensive snapshot of the 3D anatomy of muscles and uh, ligaments and tendons. In the case of one of my projects, the fascia, uh, which is this tissue that sort of surrounds the the muscles and interdigitates uh, with other tissues throughout the body. So we like MRI for that reason. It has really high contrast for soft tissues. He's doing this in collaboration with Matai Medical Research Institute, a not-for-profit charitable trust and independent research institute based in Tairafati. Basically, we are recruiting kids with cerebral palsy, um, so um, late pediatric and adolescent kids with cerebral palsy, and we're conducting longitudinal imaging, which means taking them to the scanner at multiple time points um, over the course of a couple of years. And the reason that we're doing that is because we want to understand how muscle size is progressing, muscle size and, and muscle, we call it muscle architecture. We understand understand how that's progressing over time. And so we do the imaging in groups of kids with cerebral palsy as well as uh, groups of kids who are typically developing, which basically means that they do not have cerebral palsy. And so we're doing that imaging and we're also pioneering a a modeling technique called statistical shape modeling. And that allows us to quantitatively uh, determine the shape of any structure, but in our case, muscles. And so by quantitatively determining the shape, we can have these very, very rigorous comparisons of the shape of muscles uh, between cerebral palsy and typical. So that was kind of our first study, and we've, we've published some of those results already. And now that we're collecting the longitudinal data, we're going to be able to look at how the shape and size changes over time in cerebral palsy versus those typical participants. Can you explain to me what cerebral palsy is? Yeah, cerebral palsy is a neuromuscular skeletal disorder. So it starts with a a neural, um, called a neural insult. So it's uh, basically in the the brain, in the central nervous system, there will be um, some traumatic damage of the brain. The damage happens in utero or at or near birth. So it happens very young. And 
the downstream effects of that insult that occurs in the central nervous system is it manifests as uh, as neural issues, um, things like spasticity. So there's um, kind of a, an inability to fully neurally control the muscles. And it also, over time, leads to impaired development of the muscles, impaired development of bony structures, the skeleton, and movement as well. So it's, it's actually the most common cause of disability among young people. Um, and it has a pretty consistent incidence around the world, country to country. But we're basically trying to understand how this, uh, this neural issue, which is defined as non-progressive, which means that the neural impairment does not get worse, but the musculoskeletal effects do get worse over time. And so we're trying to understand that um, paradox, if you like. According to the Neurological Foundation website, cerebral palsy affects one in every 500 New Zealand children, with an estimated 17 million people affected worldwide. They used to actually think that that there was a, a sort of a physical trauma aspect. So, you know, uh, an OBGYN delivering a baby that put pressure in the wrong place could, could damage the brain. We've improved a lot of techniques around birth, but we've gotten this sort of plateau of the, the prevalence of cerebral palsy. Um, it does turn out that there are some genetic markers for cerebral palsy. There's a, something like 20 genes that are in some different ways correlated with cerebral palsy occurring. So it does seem to be something that exists in populations worldwide. And untangling the stable brain impairment but worsening muscle symptoms paradox is a key part of the puzzle. So often, you know, very young kids will not be diagnosed with cerebral palsy because, you know, from the outside they appear normal. So they, they're normal infants and they, they move around um, normally. And if, you're, if you catch cerebral palsy really early, it'll be something like three years old when a parent notices maybe some abnormal movements and then um, goes in to see uh, an orthopedic surgeon or a physiotherapist. That would be extremely early. Often it's um, four or five years old before that's noticed and, and caught and, and the diagnosis is made. I, I have some colleagues that are actually working on using artificial intelligence to identify cerebral palsy at an earlier age. But with that said, I think it demonstrates that um, that movement impairment, which is not really noticeable at uh, two or three years old, uh, will become noticeable at four or five. It'll become worse by seven or eight. You know, someone who's walking maybe with um, some noticeable impairment as a, as a child um, by adolescence might be using orthotics or a walker, some kind of assistive device or a wheelchair. And as people age, that impairment gets a, a bit worse and worse. But again, this is defined as a, as a neurally non-progressive disorder. And so understanding what is causing that progression of the disease is, is something that we're trying to understand. Do you have an hypothesis about how this might be working, that you kind of leaned into this MRI approach because you feel like it might help you understand something that's important? Yeah, my hypothesis is that um, the fundamental issue with cerebral palsy is around growth. And so basically you have a body which is which is growing, right? As we age, our bodies get a little bigger and a little bigger. And the muscle, as far as my hypothesis is concerned, is, is not growing. And so we think about growth in, in sort of two directions. One is what we call um, cross-sectional growth. So the muscle getting sort of bigger and fatter and, and meatier in the cross-sectional direction. And that cross-sectional direction tells us about the force-generating capabilities of the muscle. Think here about bulging biceps. 
So if you have a, a muscle that's small in the cross-sectional direction with a person who's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, then for that increasing load, that growing body, you just don't have the amount of strength in the muscle to move that body effectively. The second direction is the longitudinal direction, so the length of the muscle. And so I think that the muscle also is limited in its ability to grow longitudinally. And so that longitudinal growth lengthens the muscle as the bone is growing longer. It allows the muscle to grow and keep pace with that growing bone. And so I think that in both directions, the muscle is not growing appropriately. And so figuring out uh, why that's happening, figuring out how we could potentially uh, stimulate the muscle to to grow uh, a bit more normally um, in those early years is something that we're working on. For people who have cerebral palsy, does everybody kind of track the same way? Do they follow the same prognosis or is it quite different? It's quite different actually, yeah. We often talk about uh, heterogeneity of the diagnosis or some people call cerebral palsy this umbrella diagnosis where cerebral palsy basically indicates that you have this, this neural insult. It actually looks a lot like stroke, but it occurs, as I mentioned, at or, or near birth or in utero. So um, everyone with cerebral palsy will have that neural insult, and it will broadly lead to impairments with muscle size and shape, with potentially bony anatomy, with joints, with movement. Um, But the particular type of, um, say, joint contracture or the particular type of spasticity or or movement impairment um, will depend on the person. It's very... um, called subject-specific or patient-specific. Um, we've even tried to associate the, the neural impairment with the muscles that are affected or, or the way that it manifests, but um, so far there's, there have not been clear correlations between that. Um, so it is just a patient-specific manifestation of, of the condition. Because it's an umbrella term, this means there's lots of differences between individual people's symptoms and progression. This is why they plan to study the muscle change in each patient across time in this longitudinal type study. And by doing it this way, you know, we're collecting data across time on an individual. So we're, we're able to track each of those individuals and how their progression uh, occurs. And so we don't have to average across people or make any kinds of assumptions that, you know, that people are having the same manifestation of the disease because we're actually looking at individuals' trajectory separately. How many people are you hoping to recruit in the study? Well, so we've uh, recruited a whole cohort of people without cerebral palsy. And so we've, we've been doing longitudinal imaging on that group to look at the normal progression. For the participants with cerebral palsy, we've, we've only recruited three. And I think part of it has been um, sort of in the aftermath of COVID. I think it's been, um, it's been difficult as we're sort of trying to ramp up. But the way that we've structured the study with the small number of um, participants with cerebral palsy, we can still track their trajectory based on the, um, the, the typical numbers that we've gotten from that large cohort. So we're always keen for more participants. If there are families with cerebral palsy who um, are interested in, in getting involved, we have an imaging site uh, in Auckland as well at Camry, which is at the University of Auckland. And as I mentioned, Matai, which is in Gisborne. The study will take place over a year and three months. They'll take the MRI images at the start for baseline, and then six months after, another six months after that, and then the final one three months after. It's early days in this research, but hopefully it will glean some insight into how to prevent the muscle symptoms from worsening over time. In the meantime, Dr. Jeffrey Hansfield says it does seem to be evidence that exercise can help. There was a time in the last century where 
doctors and researchers were saying avoid physical activity because it could be painful and um, and it was difficult for, for young people with cerebral palsy. But starting in the 90s, a lot of new research kind of flipped that and suggested that, you know, you can't cure cerebral palsy with physical activity, but the more you can get a young person to be active, to potentially do sports if they're if they have a, a mild case of cerebral palsy, or just to be as physically active as, as they possibly can be, considering their condition and how it manifests, um, that promotes the health of the muscles. Um, in some cases, it can strengthen muscles surrounding an affected muscle. So there are a lot of benefits to be had by just being as, as physically active as possible. Definitely a challenge because you know there can be some discomfort. So the Tadeo mana enhancing term for cerebral palsy, which was coined last year, is Hokai Nukurangi, which basically means, um, you know, traversing the earth in body, traversing the sky in spirit. And the idea behind that is that everyone is different and they're going to navigate the world in their own different way. And so at this point in time, it's important to, to recognize that, but promoting physical activity, promoting getting out and, and just being as active as possible um, has really great benefits over the long term. Thanks to Dr. Jeffrey Hansfield of the Auckland Bioengineering Institute. Ko Craig and Canon Naho to Kaiho Tu or Tene Hotaka, E. Afina Mai, our William Ray, Rawa, Ko Ellen Rikers. I produced this one with help from William and Ellen. Sound engineering was by William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Our show webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And if you've got feedback for us, you can email ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz or find us on Facebook or X where we are at RNZ Science. Tēnā i mai. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai. Te wiki.